0: Yo, thank you for listening to Coffee Sometimes. If you're new here, then welcome. Every week we talk about coffee, business, and some other stuff in hopes that some of the things we've learned in the past can help you in your coffee journey. We really like doing this, and the best way you can help us continue is by subscribing and liking our content on YouTube and following and reviewing on your podcast app of choice. Lastly, if you find what you hear helpful, please share on your social media platforms and with your friends who might be interested in learning a thing or two about coffee and running a coffee business. All right thanks for listening. Here's the show
1: Coffee sometimes. hey if you can cheers from if you can cheers uh, Here's to having a great time talking.
2: For the next four hours. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: to no Kanpai. more technical difficulties.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Kampai. Kampai. Ooh, well
0: said. That's Japanese. Correct. All right. For our listeners out there, we just uh, were an hour and... No, two hours late yeah. to our own podcast. Oopsie. Uh, so here we have... The one and only Lauren Purvis. Did I say that right? Did I say you your last did. name
3: right? Hello. Yes, correct. Okay,
0: perfect. There perfect. she is. Um, and you know, it's it's she's she's really mad right? about yeah the delay. Um, there was just an hour of
1: technical difficulties,
0: and then an hour of talking her down.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely <laughs> yeah. furious. But I
0: think we're gonna spend the next this time together making it up to you. Yeah.
3: Oh, you know, the reality is I just had an extra hour to really enjoy a very lengthy matcha moment and that's all I could ask for.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. We love to hear it. Um,
1: Are people able to see Miss Lauren on the the video? Yeah, absolutely. What's going on behind you there? You got a, you have a a tapestry of sorts.
3: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) this is this is my little home home studio office um this is a nabori which is um very con- they're like advertising banners you know how in america you have like mm-hmm. the the wiggly men yeah well in japan they have yep, much yeah. nicer advertising banners and this banner says uji matcha those two characters at the bottom are matcha there it is matcha um and this nice. is Granted to me via the Kyoto Tea Cooperative um, because we only sell very legitimate matcha.
0: Whoa, that's something we're going to have to get into. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. Not us getting into it, but we're going to dig into that subject. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: <laughs> Maybe we could just start with uh, how we know you, Lauren, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is my first time meeting you but uh screen to screen screen to screen (laughs) um but a a gentleman by the name of kent sheridan how did how did you guys know each other you and kent
3: oh man that goes way back uh to the land before time and i almost don't even remember (laughs) uh, (laughs) little foot yeah Mm -hmm. i almost don't even remember Tbh, oh, you know what? It just came back to me. Wow, I think it was. It must have been like 2015 or 2016, some somewhere in there. And um, bringing it all the way back, I'm married to a, or, um, an Oregonian. His name's Dan. Uh, my Mm. husband was raised in central Oregon in a very, very, very tiny town called sisters, which is pretty ironic because he lives in a family of like five boys. Like he's the youngest of five boys. So for him to be raised (laughs) in a town called sisters is just funny to me. Anyway, um, sisters is 20 minutes outside of this town called bend Oregon and bend Oregon has a lot of coffee shops. Um, some really lovely coffee shops. And one of the loveliest coffee shop in Bend is called Pallet Coffee. And we walked in and mm-hmm. there was this gentleman named Kent who was just kind of hanging out there and working there. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, those people that just kind of give off fun, like an attitude of fun. And we looked at Kent yeah. and we took one look at Kent. We're like, you're fun. Can we be your friend? And <laughs> Kent thought we were pretty fun, we too. We know you. Yeah, it was one of those like instant click connections. And I feel like that's how a lot of people connect with me in life. I either connect with you right away and we're best friends or you're just more of my acquaintance, you know?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about us? Yeah, we will see.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I feel I'm I'm getting the aura of fun. I'm not, okay, truly, I'm not huge into auras Mm -hmm. whatsoever, but like you give off a lot of fun. You can just feel it. For
2: a second there, I thought you were, like, really into ours. Yeah, good thing you backed <laughs> no. up on that.
3: Hey, no.
1: were, were you already married to Dan, the Oregonian man, when you made your way to Pallet coffee?
3: Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I met Dan two days after I started Mizuba Tea Company. So they're the same age. Wow. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was 2013.
0: 2013 and you guys are just you're just rolling you're rolling so i (laughs) for those that don't know kent is a good friend of ours he's he's from the area that valor is located in of the world and he moved out to oregon and started a company called voila coffee um yeah and they i wish i wish they were still Producing the best instant coffee in the world because it was yes. it was very good. I don't know if you all um, can. But Kent's see this. still a good friend of us, and he's still doing. Oh, look at that! The Mizuba, hey. voila. Yeah, that stuff was good. You guys ever it's had precious. that? I never had it. I had never it. had it. It was very good. Um, and but yeah, but Kent's doing great things now, uh, and he's 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 near and dear to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I remember this one time you and Kent were together, and Kent called me, and said. Hey, this is Lauren. You need to use her matcha. And then uh we did.
2: We kind of just did.
3: Yeah. Seems like you <laughs> deeply trust Kent.
0: Oh yeah. With my life.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think at the time, when I mean when was that? We've been using Mizuba pretty much since we opened the cafe, right? Or was it even before that, the pop up?
0: I well, think it's been
1: about
2: three or four years. So maybe a little bit before the
0: cafe. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Um, but it's been a great decision. We've done some uh, some fun social media type of things together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, Ethan, I'm really surprised that you aren't wearing your uh, Matcha Madness tea today.
1: Have you seen those, Lauren? Do you have one?
3: Oh, my gosh. I'm I sh- Oh, I'm kicking myself right now, mm-hmm. y'all, because I should be wearing my T-shirt.
1: Me too. I just bought a new shirt at a flea market, and I wanted to wear it, but and that's why I'm wearing this shirt.
0: Mm. <clears throat> that is really
1: impressive. It's like it's almost a mock neck. Wow. I know. It's from 1991. It's, like, so old. Like, the <laughs> oldest thing I've ever oh, that heard of. so old. 1991. Are you kidding me? Uh, but, yeah, that shirt is probably the, one of the greatest things we've ever done, which was, I think it was 2021 that we decided – how many matches can we sell in the year of March? And we yep. called it Matcha Madness, and it was awesome. That was one. I think we talked about it before. That was like a a uh, peer led initiative. Yes, uh, which was really cool. And then we just wanted to step in and support it even further in 2022 by making a T-shirt that said "I Survived <laughs> Valors." Matcha Madness 2022, and then doing like a huge giveaway and uh, partnering with Mizuba for Mm -hmm. that giveaway. Right? Was that the?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: That's the mean potatoes of it. Yeah, such a sweet time.
3: That was a sweet time. Oh, I would say even from across the country, we could feel the the fervor and the enthusiasm, and just every every matcha moment at Valor. Like we could, it was it was felt across the country.
2: Wow! Wow, shockwaves across the nation. Yeah, colored I, green.
0: The first year we did it when it was loose, it was like I think we got to a thousand like right there at the end. Mm-hmm. And then the next year when it was a thing, I mean, I think it took like no time—two
1: weeks, I mean, yeah, maybe.
0: a couple weeks to a th- to get to a thousand matches.
3: I have to say that is incredible. That is absolutely That's music incredible. to your
0: ears, right there, Lauren. <laughs>
3: it's it's not only music to my ears, yeah, but it's also music to I think the the producers and farmers I work with because um, mm-hmm. this this will direct the narrative arc of the podcast, perhaps. But um, a lot of people don't know that the Japanese tea industry as a whole is actually on the decline. And so a lot of people oh. take matcha for granted. And they, you know, over here we see green powder everywhere. But what a lot of people don't know is mm-hmm. that matcha as a term is not regulated. So that means that matcha as a tea will always be powdered green tea, but not all powdered green tea is actually matcha. And so I'll just, this is like the the bad news I and the good news through. part of the podcast is that the bad news is that four out of every five tea producer in Japan has actually quit in the past 20 years. But the good news is that we have a lot of hope because really awesome coffee shops and um, just tea enthusiasts like Valor, like cool specialty places that want to really um, make high quality things accessible they do fun things like this. They really celebrate matcha. They want people to survive matcha madness, you know, and they, you know, like, you know what your shop does <laughs> do. and yeah, exactly. And so I think y'all can really speak to like how, how maybe in the past, like high quality things have had, uh, an approachability issue. Like maybe people don't think they, it's just maybe things are too fancy for them maybe to, a steer or something mm-hmm. but but i think what you've done really well is create a space where you can still have really high quality experiences but still have fun yes
2: nice. and at the end of the day i mean people most a lot of people can afford coming into a cafe and you know at the most dropping seven dollars on a drink you know it's like a but it's like the best in that category of drinks like some of the best coffee or the best latte you can get isn't hundreds of dollars. It's like ones of dollars, like $7 max, mm-hmm. which is, I love that about our industry, that it is like a a volume business because every transaction is smaller, but mm-hmm. this accessibility of that is something that's really appealing to me. mm
3: mm-hmm. And so when I get to email my farms back and tell them, like, wow, this one shop shared a thousand matcha moments, that gives (laughs) my friends in Japan a lot of hope and a lot of, like, wow. (laughs) Amazing. I love it.
0: Yeah, so maybe we can start, I want to hit on so much, but uh, if we could start with you, I want to know, you know, give us a little bit of an idea of your background and how you got into the tea business.
3: Yeah, um, that's a fun story. And it's a story that I always, every time I talk about it, I'm still very wide eyed. And um, a lot of people, when they ask me what I do and I, I say, oh, I, I own a tea company, they're like, really? And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, I do? Oh, I do. <laughs> Um, I guess but I all I have is my story and, uh, this, this is the tale of what happened to me. So we'll, we'll go back. I'm a big chronological storyteller. So we'll, we always go way back. Please. Um, I was 11 years old. I was a kid in Santa Barbara, California. My family is very, they, we put a high value on food. We love food. We love experiencing Life through food. (laughs) A lot of a lot of my memories, like, and I think you guys can relate to this too, are just like experiential through flavor and taste and food. My mom happened to be friends with Julia Child, if you know that person.
1: I think we Um, do. (laughs) So
3: I sadly never got to meet Julia Child, but I kind of was there because my mom was pregnant with me. So I was there. I was there, just not conscious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to be a picky eater. And I, my parents never really were like, here is tea. You should like it, you know? But I think just with all the conversations and like food network was on my TV 24 seven, like it never turned off. So we just osmosised a lot of like vocabulary about food. And I, I think, my mom would give me um, "Constant Comment" by Bigelow. Are you familiar? It is a mm, heritage mm. classic. Heritage tea company in America, and you you probably had it without realizing it. It's in every grocery store. Anyway, um, Bigelow is really really famous for their oh, tea. Oh, Bigelow, Bigelow yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, so they're really famous for that tea. They kind of hit me. Yeah, exactly. So Constant comment was like this blend of really warming like cinnamon spices and orange peel and like a little secret zest, of course, that they have. But my mom would give me that tea every single morning before school. And, you know, wow. yeah, this was like middle school. I was 11. And then throughout the years, I was like, Mom, like, I think there's more to life than Bigelow. No shade. No shade. But I was just like, there's, there's more... There's more to tea, I think, because like I was experiencing flavors in so many other things. And I was like, is, is there more than just a tea bag? Because in the 90s, where I come from, <laughs> 1990 particularly, in the 90s, I remember my parents, they would refer to tea as like Snapple. You know, I remember driving around, my mom would be like, oh, let me get my tea. And I was like, it was a peach Snapple. So you kind of like had that frame of reference. Mm-hmm. A lot of Americans were like, Tea was equated to just iced tea, maybe, um, and sure. then if they had like a hot tea, it would be like a tea bag that was dunked into boiling water. And a lot of people didn't really like tea because it tasted really, really bitter because everybody was just boiling mm. the heck out of tea bags. So I kind of through high school started exploring more into tea just on my own. I was a normal kid. I liked music. I liked sports. You know, um, but for some reason I felt. Down the proverbial rabbit hole into tea like got super deep on it as like a total nerd, like all the books, all the fake online classes with you know, oh here's your printable tea smellnia certification <laughs> <You> no <know>? wow <laughs> cool yeah we all we all fell into some some rabbit hole like that mine just happened to be tea, and so that was high school. I worked three jobs in high school and ended up collecting just all these teas from around the world and went to college, would share all these teas. And it was kind of funny because like uh, you, if you go to college, like you kind of are in that stage of life where you're like, what am I going to do the rest of my life? Who am I supposed to be? What is vocation? Like all that sort of stuff. And I thought I was always Mm -hmm. just, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get a degree. I'm an English major. For some reason, I decided like specializing in Charles Dickens was, like, I don't even know. (laughs) That's that was like my literature focus. I did also as like a future planning thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue journalism. So I was into writing, and I was like, well, I love so many different things. At least if I can't be very good at them, I can write about them. You know, Um, so I was. Pursuing journalism and like, really long story short, 2013 was when I graduated college. Yeah. And my senior year, I had a friend who went to go teach English in Japan and a very close family friend. And he was like, Hey, you should come visit. And my family and I were like, Yeah, free place to stay in Japan. Let's go. So I like knew there'd be good tea there. I just had zero frame of reference for how good the tea would be. And I think a lot of people might have that experience in any origin country, um, be it like France for wine Mm -hmm. or Italy for wine or like, you know, um, any, anything like that. If you're actually in a place where they produce a product and you could experience it firsthand, it really opens up your understanding of, uh, what you're consuming, (laughs) I guess. So, Mm -hmm. um, this is just a little bit about who I am, but the minute I touch down in a foreign country, like the very first place I need to go is the grocery store. Like, have to go. So we landed mm. in Tokyo. It was midnight. That's like Disneyland to me because if I can't understand anything on the label, there's and it's all food. I'm like, wow, the world of opportunity is, in, is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so midnight, Tokyo landed on um Went straight to the grocery store and like the very first section that I went to, you might be able to guess, was the tea section. And I I was hit very hard within that moment. And like a lot of people talk about it like a light bulb moment, but, and it's funny because it sounds so cheesy, but it really does happen to people. And I went to the tea section, I went to like the lowest shelf because it was the cheapest and I just bought a ton of tea. And I realized like even the cheapest tea in that store was 20 times better than anything I'd ever had in America. Um and that was oh, not so long cool. ago. That was that was yeah, just 2013. So, um you know, this is I just was a senior in college off a of college budget and thinking like, wow, like that really means quality is really accessible here. You know, and I was so used to paying a lot for like good tea. Because also I still think to this Mm -hmm. day, there's a lot of people in this country that don't know what tea has the potential to be. Um, And that's what I get really excited Mm. about is sharing that experience. But so just realizing like, whoa, this is accessible and and quality. Um, Those two things are really, really important to me. And so I wasn't even planning on owning a business. I had wanted nothing to do with business and I hate numbers and math, but here we are. (laughs) Um, And again, still like planning on journalism. And so anyway, I had the grocery store revelation as we'll call it. And then the second thing that happened is that I think to some degree we experience this here. And especially if you're in coffee and we live this beautiful interaction day in and day out, when you serve a beverage to someone, you really connect with people and like you can really build community over beverages. But for me, when I was in Japan and not really speaking the language that well and you know, communication barrier, but every single time I met somebody there was always just tea there. I didn't even have to ask for it. It was just magical, you know. And for somebody who grew up mm-hmm. loving tea, I was like, "This is the dream." <laughs> um, and I realized, like, that gave me this huge light bulb of like, "Wow, Lauren! Like, this is how you make friends. Like, you don't even speak the language fully, and you can still communicate somewhat over this beverage." And then, like, going back to my mom, it really like gave me the light bulb of like, "Wow." I like loved the fact that she gave me tea every morning, but it's also more about spending time with my mom too. It wasn't, it was, it's not just the tea. You can have like the, the best tea and the highest quality tea on the planet. But I think the majority of people don't realize that they, they might not fully enjoy that tea unless they're sharing it with somebody else. So that hit me really hard Mm. over there. And these are two very long, drawn-out experiences that happened to me. But the third and final thing on that trip was I um, accidentally met a matcha producer. And (laughs) here we are.
1: (laughs) How do you stumble into meeting a matcha producer?
3: Yeah. um, So we were traveling. And I mentioned we flew into Tokyo. But my friend who we were visiting, we kind of traveled all around. And um, we were in Kyoto and Kyoto's uh historically a very very wonderful tea growing region and it just so happens that this little area in Kyoto prefecture called Uji is like the premier historically revered growing region in the world for matcha i had never heard about Uji until i went to japan and so my my parents and my friend and i were um, we took a day trip South of Kyoto and like on the way back. And here's the thing, when you travel into Japan, like guaranteed, you will get lost. It's, it's just going to happen. And it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> just like, you're just, you know, the trains move fast and you need to know, you know, it, it, it's just part of, part of the experience there. Um, but on the way back, we were, we were planning on coming back to Kyoto from our day trip and the train stopped and you know, like you have to make a split second decision. You're either going to be on the train or you're jumping off the train. There's like, you can't really hesitate if you're going to maybe get off. Um, But this train pulled into a very small stop called Uji and my dad had a little guidebook and there was like literally one sentence in the guidebook about Uji and the sentence read, birthplace of excellent tea or something like that and so i threw everyone off the train
1: <laughs> so
3: yeah i said everybody get off and it's it's about 25 mi- uh, minutes outside not just of Kyoto. my family everybody. <laughs> everyone yeah no just just um yeah uh whoever was with me and so um, it was, it was such a fast decision, but it ended up being like one of the most life-changing afternoons literally that I've ever had. And we were just there for an afternoon, wow. but in Japan, um, towns, like, uh, if it's famous for something, usually like all the shops and restaurants are themed like around that thing. So in Uji, there, it's a very, 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 very small town. There, like, you can walk. Uh, within maybe like 40 minutes, like the length of the little, little downtown. Um, so like I was strolling down the main street and everywhere I looked, there's tea noodle houses, tea ceramic stores, tea dessert shops, tea shops, I mean, zillions of tea mm. shops. And I was losing my mind. <laughs> um, So you get to talking and I was talking to people and they, they realized like this girl is kind of crazy about tea. Um, and they kept saying like, you need to talk to this person. Like you need to connect with this person. Um, cause I kept asking like, where can I get like really good matcha? Like, this is exciting. Um, and I actually only had matcha once before going to Japan. It was 2016. No, sorry. 2006. Wow. Um, 2006 was the first time I had matcha. Um, I had a lot of matcha by the time 2016 rolled around. Just kidding. So 2006, my brother brought (laughs) a can of matcha home. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we didn't really know what it was. I was just like, this is powdered tea, huh? Um, Because at that point, I was like really deep into oolongs and stuff. But yeah, then discovered what matcha could be. And so I got the contact information of this matcha producer, this heritage matcha producer who's um, ran his family's operation. It's been in this family for 100 years. Um and we are his exclusive supplier mm-hmm. in America now. So anyway,
0: wow. how that happened
3: wow. though is um I I was still set this was spring break of my senior year. So I was still set to graduate and I was enrolled in um a publishing grad school to like be a really nerdy literature editor. And the whole time I was in grad school, <laughs> yeah, uh I was emailing with this mantra producer and the week after I graduated that program um, the mantra producer emailed me back and said, can you sell my tea in America? And I said, <laughs> 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 yep, that's how Mazuba hey, started. Way to
1: jump right in. Wow.
3: And that's how Mazuba so started. Awesome. I actually don't remember saying yes to starting the company. Um, it was my dad yeah. and my best friend from college who brought home like incorporation papers. And they're like, here, you should sign this and you're doing this now.
2: So. Oh, my gosh.
3: <laughs> I'm still doing it.
2: And that was in, you said, 2013, like when you kind of officially started as Mizuba.
3: Mm. August 19th, 2013.
2: All right. So you're, you kind of get started with the, the producer side of it. And mm. then it's like, okay, I have this matcha to sell. Now what? Like, Yeah. Where did you, where did you go from there? How did you find people to buy it?
3: That's a great question because, as you heard, I did not study business whatsoever, like at all. My best friend, as I mentioned, was a business major, Um, and so all I knew how to do. Actually, I was terrified when my first shipment of tea showed up on my doorstep. I was like, "Oh my gosh, (laughs) what do I? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) how do I get it into people's hands? How much was it? Um, it was it was small. Like I, I think I got like maybe a hundred or so tins and. Um. Hey. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look at that invoice. I don't even remember. I think maybe what, like what's the
2: shelf life on that? Like,
3: oh, um, you can store matcha unopened for 12 months.
2: Oh, cool. Hey. That's, yeah, that's nice. great for so. In case business.
3: you wanted to get a ton of matcha for Valor, you can in one go if you wanted to.
0: <laughs> nice. Perfect. Noted.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Were you kind of like, okay, well, I have. All I have to do is sell two of these a week, and I will be okay.
3: Oh, I didn't even think about it like that. I was like, um, okay, Lauren knows how to throw tea parties. I know how to have tea parties with people, and not in a, like, grandma sense, you know? Like, I... I just really liked hanging out with people over tea. And the thing is Santa Barbara, I was in Santa Barbara at the time. Santa Barbara is very, very small and the food community is very small, albeit very great. So, uh, you know, my Mm -hmm. family has been in that town for 30 something years. And so I was like, if I wanted the best matcha ice cream, who would I go to? If I wanted the best matcha at a coffee shop, who would I go to? And actually, at that time, there was literally like one specialty shop in Santa Barbara, so that worked out. <laughs> um,
1: was, it, was it the French press? It
3: was. You know the French press? Oh,
1: <laughs> we're we're just longtime listeners of uh, the Cat and Cloud Coffee oh, Podcast.
3: True, be uh, yeah. I
1: think they're yeah, they're friends of friends of that world, and so mm-hmm. that's what I think about when I think of Santa Barbara.
3: Well, very, I think very.
1: Think of
2: my favorite sitcom, Psych.
1: <laughs> was Psych. Was Psych
3: there when you were there? Um, do I like absolutely none of that show was set in Santa Barbara except for the intro? <laughs> what? <laughs> what about the like drum shots? You know,
2: like Sorry. wasn't that? Yeah, know, maybe, maybe drone some of the drum
3: shots. Only. But I watched the first. Okay, I hope this doesn't ruin anything for anybody. But I watched the first episode of that show, and I was like. I think because they they go up to a forest or whatever. I'm like, there's no forest in Santa Barbara. Like, what are doing? <laughs> Nothing you can
2: say or do will make me like cyclists. So it's okay. Okay. he's That's obsessed.
3: Mm, gotcha. Well, the, and, yeah. From what I gathered, and of course, granted, I only watched one episode. From what I gathered, like just the intro theme is a few snapshots of Espy. but really. Sorry. <laughs> oh, SB. But I want to go back to the French press. I want to go back to the French press because Please. Um, that's super deep in my world. So I met my husband at the French press.
0: No way.
1: No wow. way. The Argonian hey. man. What was he doing down in SB?
3: I know. So, I mean, this is probably the story of most baristas, right? But, um, Dan mm-hmm. is my husband, dude. <laughs> and um, he and his brother, Nick Purvis, um, who was like fifth in the nation at one of the barista championships, um, he and Dan at, at one point, I forgot what year it was, but they road tripped from Canada, and their goal was to go to Mexico and surf the whole way down, but they got stuck in Santa Barbara, quote unquote, and decided to just stay there and get jobs at a coffee shop. So, wow, they, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Nick managed the French press for a while. Uh, yeah, Nick and Dan were, I think, there were like three or four years. Yeah, and um, I was just there. And this, you guys, I'll be really real with you. The first time I met Dan, I ordered the most embarrassing drink. And Tell us, tell us a, what the drink is. Yeah, it was at a time, put it where on air. I just I kind of grew up on church coffee, which is called uh, it's decaf coffee with honey and milk, um, and I loved that. I loved Ooh. church coffee, but then, like as a young twenty two year old, you kind of just got caught up in things, and I thought I I only needed a decaf non fat latte, and back no, then that was no. embarrassing. That was embarrassing, you guys, um, because. To my knowledge, like non fat really kinda doesn't exist in coffee shops. And also like it's not like why would you ever order hmm. non fat milk? Like ever. Why would you do that? Mm. Strong opinions. Uh,
1: because you're too chicken to order water. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ethan, do you wanna do you wanna tell the story about this is a deep this is a deep cut about non fat milk at Valor?
3: Mm. Yeah,
1: are you ready, Lauren? Are you ready for a story?
3: I just took a sip of matcha so I think I'm good.
1: Well, probably the the worst or the heaviest hitting customer inter- customer interaction we had was because a woman wanted uh non-fat milk and at that time we didn't have it but we were just like watering down whole milk oh, and God. people <laughs> would be like, "Yeah, that's fine." But she was we just made it for her, and then she proceeded to really give us the business, and uh, it was tough. It was tough. Um, so people, the 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 non-fat milk community is maybe small, but they're strong. All right, they're potent. Really? They're potent. They're still out there they business. They're, they're still, still out there, there though. Oh. Um, yeah, we probably go through. So we have it's technically skim milk, so mm. I guess it's like one percent milk fat or something we go through probably 4 to 6 gallons of that a week just to give you
3: wow. an
1: idea that yeah. you know there's there's still skimmies out there <laughs> um skimmers whatever you want to call them and but on but we go through about like uh maybe 60 gallons of whole milk so mm-hmm. like one out of 10 mm-hmm. gallons is skim and one mm-hmm. is whole or nine or whole mm-hmm. Anyway, so skim milk really cl- hits it. It's close to home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So decaf non fat latte.
3: It was really embarrassing. Anything so, to sweeten it
1: up? Would you do honey or do you just go straight up?
3: Um, I just went, well, I ordered it iced, but he messed up my drink, so it's nice. fine. But so I ordered Yikes. an iced non fat decaf latte and. It was interesting because the hospitality climate in Santa Barbara at that time was like, I don't think a barista had ever spoken to me before. Um, Like, Mm. I, it was kind of the era of pretension. And I was actually really caught off guard when Dan Wanted to talk to me. And so I was at the register. I was paying for this drink. And the first words my future husband ever spoke to me were, Do you always drink decaf?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: I was caught off guard because I, I thought, Oh no, like here's this really fancy barista and he's making fun of me. And so I was kind of like on the defensive and I was like, Oh no, like, uh, I, I At the time, I thought caffeine made me sick, which is such a lie. Um, But that's how I was raised, I guess. And so I was like, Ca- yeah, caffeine just kind of makes me sick. And he was like, oh. And he was such a gentleman. He was like, oh, no, no. Like, that's cool. I, I'm actually really into tea myself. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Hold up. Like, I had actually <laughs> at that point never heard a male say, I like tea. And I was 22. I don't what? know. I just – yeah. And breaking so breaking barriers. Totally. I was like, "Whoa." And then he caught me really off guard. I just really didn't know what to do with myself and I, except I kind of gathered my wits about me as like kind of testing. I was like, "Really?" Like, "Oh, yeah. Do you like tea?" Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, how about oolong?
2: <laughs> you like well, those so too?
3: That's hilarious because I said, "Oh yeah, what kind?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm actually really into oolong." And, I, and then I, you know, dropped. <laughs> <gasps>
1: <laughs> you said, "Marry me, Dan." That's funny. Then <laughs> he was like, "How do you know my name?" <laughs> and then you were like, "Shut up, shut up, Dan!"
0: <laughs> shut up. Wow, beautiful, That's amazing. Story. So you kind of have tea to attribute your, uh, in a way, your relationship with your husband, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, straight up. Bit. If he if he never said I like tea, I I don't know what I would have done. So yeah, he proceeded to make my ice drink hot. Um, because everybody was just flustered, um, so oh.
1: <laughs> they're like, "Wait, a barista's talking to a customer." Everybody just ugh, ugh, <laughs> <laughs> malfunction, system malfunction, system rolled.
3: malfunction. So French press, now called Dune Coffee, is uh, they're as they would say, are tight bros, mm.
2: tight bros. Mm-hmm. How do we get on that? Or were we just talking about uh? Well, oh, she was talking Santa
1: about Arbor. selling uh, tea. yes, and so mm. she was like, "Best coffee shop to sell the tea," and I was mm-hmm. like, "French press." Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then she was mm-hmm. oops, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were looking for people. Did you did you do it?
3: So that's funny. Um Dan quickly became somewhat of a complication in me selling tea to the French Press because I didn't want to come into that coffee shop straight away and be like I'm dating your barista buy my tea. You know? Mm. So Fair. the French Press did not start selling matcha or like they yeah, matcha in general till a year uh, after I started my company, and then it was time when I was like, "Hey, I've been here long enough. Like, <laughs> let me teach you how to do this." You know. Um, but I, I will say um, the it's called Dune Coffee now. Sometimes I call it the French Dune Press, but it's now Dune Coffee, and nice. um, it even regardless if they were not our best friends or not, but they. Sell about a kilo of matcha a week, um, which, if you're unfamiliar, a kilo of matcha is about 400 teaspoons. So that's about 400 drinks a week, I think, on average. That's an average. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Shout
1: out
2: Dune Coffee. Check that out.
3: Hometown Dune Heroes. Coffee and
2: matcha. Maybe we should call them. Yeah. There we
3: go. <laughs> I have a
2: question. Uh, it's it's going back to. To something you said earlier you said you had three jobs in high school mm-hmm. correct
3: Mm-hmm. correct
2: first of all if you don't mind sharing what were those jobs and like I would imagine that having three jobs in high school made you more equipped to start a new business like the grind that comes with that
3: you're you're really correct and it was funny because at the time I you know obviously wasn't thinking about oh I'm an entrepreneur but I taught um guitar lessons I taught horseback riding lessons and I didn't teach those two at the same time although I love the visual um and then I was a (laughs) (laughs) I was a receptionist at a at a tennis club
2: so two of those were kind of entrepreneurial right Mm because I mean you, you had to get guitar clients and and uh What's the other term for riding horses? <laughs> Equestrian. Equestrian. Equestrian-al, yes. you know, uh, clients. <laughs> um, but anyways, I just when you said that, I was like, wow, I bet I bet that really uh, laid the foundation for, you know, like th- for us just starting a business. There's those mm-hmm. moments of hopelessness where you feel like, man, the only way over this wall is to like plow right through it and just keep mm-hmm. going and um, having three jobs at one time in high school would definitely develop that kind of character trait.
3: I would say you're absolutely correct. And it's funny because when, you know, as you're a high schooler and you're you're kind of just uh I think my parents were super awesome and supportive of like, "Oh, you love doing this. You you can do this. Why don't you, you know, teach or something?" And um yeah, they gave me a lot of freedom in pursuing that and kind of making it my own. It was very cool. Um, and I, I, yeah, I wasn't thinking as a high schooler, like, look at me, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I was like zero thought about that. It was just a natural extension of like, I love doing these things and I know how to do them. And then people would ask if Mm -hmm. they could like hang out and learn, you know?
2: That's, I mean, that's definitely a a theme that I can tell carries on with Mizuba. Like Mm -hmm. you get all this matcha in and you're like crap what am I gonna do with this and so you like you said you threw tea parties and you enjoyed it and so that passion was infectious to other people so Mm -hmm. that's that's a really another really cool thing that's kind of seems like it's been throughout your whole life
3: yeah and it was really sweet too because that first year like you said I think when you find yourself responsible for your own work, it can be absolutely terrifying. And so the first year I cried a lot, not going to lie. It was terrifying, but the sweet moments were Mm. when, and I, I, I don't think I put a lot of expectation on it, but I was always really pleasantly surprised when people would say yes to a twenty-two-year-old girl with kilos of green powder, being like, "Hey, you want to hang out with me and have a tea party?" <laughs> and more often than not, <laughs> there were so many people that were like, "Yeah, that, let, yeah, come on over. I would love to have tea with you." And so I think it was a really sweet, supportive space. Um, and yeah, really surprised at how many people. Um, and how many business owners, and chefs, and cafe owners, and boutique owners, and juice bar owners, and all sorts of people were like, "Yeah, come on over." So it was it was a very cool time.
2: Did you find yourself having to uh, source lower grade matcha in the beginning, so that because like maybe at the time people didn't view matcha as like this high end specialty item, and they were using it in their like cakes and stuff or or were you able to, I guess, just tell me about what your product looked like and, and how that was received in the market?
3: That is such an interesting question. And nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I feel so fortunate in <laughs> the fact that, again, I, I wasn't even looking at business like, I need to sell this. It was more of like, this is the tea that I know I love and that's quality and this is great and I'm going to import it. Mm -hmm. I've never imported lower quality tea um, to my purview and to my producers, you know, like in in our eyes. Um, It's so interesting. There is so many convoluted conversations about um, culinary versus ceremonial matcha, and that's a whole other podcast. I could totally teach a whole class about that. But um, I think – What's interesting is that given my food background and I always started out with the idea that if you're going to put tea in a beverage or a cake, I still want it to be quality, you know? I think there's mm. there's a lot of – there is a line where like you don't want to put like maybe an award-winning um super difficult to produce rare cultivar matcha in a latte just because you'd you'd lose the nuance of that flavor it might be the best latte you've ever had but is it the best use case for that tea um so there's 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 obviously lines for that but i think for in the in the categories that i was selling tea for if you're going to have a latte i still wanted it to be an excellent latte. I wasn't going to put something of low quality in it just because it's cheaper. Um, because also I think just the people I met and the tea that they had and the, the heritage they're representing, um, there's, there's still a lot of honor in designing a tea that is perfect for that use case. So that's really how we approach our tea. Like, um, of course, it has to be accessible, and that's a huge part of what Mizupa does. But like our mission is basically to make high quality tea accessible, and by working directly with the farms, we're able to do that. And um, we work really closely with our farmers. So I always ask them as like, okay, like we want tea that is um, representative and true to Uji tradition, which means it's shade grown, it's stone milled. And air shipped right away, so it doesn't lose any of the quality. Um, but we we need it for cafes. And so, there, yeah, there might be a lot of people out there that would be like, I just need something cheap. But I think what all I have is the relationships I have with the producers, and this is what they're proud to purvey. So for cafe use, uh, my farmers actually designed a tea that – is strong and smooth enough to still have a backbone when you add ingredients to it right it, like maybe you've had a matcha latte that gets totally lost in the milk and you're like I'm kind of just tasting green milk <laughs> you know <laughs> versus mm-hmm. actually experiencing the flavor of matcha and have it being complemented by the milk I, I it's just like a cappuccino like I think a lot of people talk about the analogies of like how really floral espresso can kind of get lost sometimes in in lattes and cappuccinos you could totally agree with me or disagree Mm -hmm. um but yeah agree like coffee roasters design coffees to be paired with milk and like my farmers um also do the same thing with their teas it's like we design for use case but still the highest quality
2: can you break that down a little bit like because gosh there's so much i want to get into here i don't know where to go but um like when i think about what you're saying As far as choosing certain coffees that go with milk or choosing certain coffees that are better on like a delicate pour over, you know. Mm -hmm. I think of a few things. There's like different levers you can pull. There's different variables you can manipulate to make those different things happen. Like Mm -hmm. an Ethiopian, a coffee that's from Ethiopia, it's washed, it's an heirloom you know, variety. It's, it's just clean. It's delicate. And then, you know, we source it, we bring it here. A big part of that is price point. It's probably going to be a higher price point. So Mm -hmm. we're probably not trying to throw that like in our main blend for espresso. So we get it here to the roastery and then we roast it lighter than, you know, a a coffee that we'd be trying to pair milk Mm -hmm. with. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what is the the analog to that in your world? Like when you mm. say the farmers, you know, sort of made this product that was better for milk or or mm-hmm. maybe one that's better to be drank on its own because it's really delicate. Like how do they manipulate those different variables? What are the variables? It's a great sure.
3: Questions. That is an excellent question. And oh, we're going to get like deep into horticulture. So it's, it's interesting. A lot of people think I got into matcha, especially like – These days, and because of the wellness side, and matcha has been very adopted and embraced by the wellness side of industries, I guess, or trends. But my mom's a horticulturist. My, like, we love gardening. I'm like way more deeply entrenched in the agriculture and the production and growing of the actual tea and specialty tea than, like, for its health properties. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other conversation to you. So, looking at um, the plant itself. Right. So a lot of the variables that matcha can have are, um, Ooh. Okay. So cultivar plays a big role. Um, I feel like I need to take a few step backs because when we were talking about quality, there's some foundational things, right? What does, what is matcha? Like what actually is matcha? Matcha has to come from Japan. It has to be shade ground, which I've mentioned before. It has to be stone milled. I mean, it has to be from um, a – all tea comes from the same plant. So um, tensha is the appropriate term of shade-grown tea leaf. So you might see a lot of companies that say, like, oh, we have this matcha made from girakuro or sencha, and that's not actually matcha, and there's a lot of confusion in that. So I'm, I'm trying to say there's, like, a lot of variables that can um, play into – how like what flavor the tea has it's it's kind of like it's a little bit like coffee where you have different varietals of the coffee plant right and um, Mm -hmm. when I talk about cultivars like some cultivars are stronger or more resistant to frost or have different flavor nuances and so um, oh yeah I can also go in so many different directions (laughs) so wait I have a question
2: first yeah, can I ask a really basic question? Uh-huh. What is a cultivar?
3: That's what I was gonna go for. I was like, okay, I need to, I, Ooh. I need to go all the way back, right? So, yeah, just yeah. think, just think that um, the ba- the the very simplistic answer to your question is that how a tea is produced and how a tea is grown and how a tea is harvested affects everything in terms of flavor, how you okay. use it. It's all, it's all in production. And I would say the same for coffee, right? I mean, you have the extra step of roasting, but, um, that's also part of production, right? So everything from even, mm-hmm. let's just start with the plant. So very beginning, all tea comes from the same plant. Not everybody knows that yet. <laughs> um, Wake and, up. Genius. Yeah. so camellia sinensis, right? That is the tea plant. Um, sorry, guys. If it's mint, chamomile, yeah, rooibos, right. or mate, that's not actually tea. It's okay. Those are tisanes. Mm. But let's just talk about tea. So within tea, um, how you produce that plant will get you all different thousands of different styles of tea. So you, in the most basic categories, you have mm. white, green, yellow, oolong, black, and pu'er, which is its own. Category, like thing, um, but when we're talking about matcha, we're talking about a green tea. So this is like the iceberg. You've got the tea plant. You've got different production styles. We'll give you different types of tea, green tea within green tea. Different countries. You've got thousands of different styles of green tea. So like China, zillions of styles of green tea. Japan, lots of different styles cool. of green tea. So you've got sencha, matcha, gyokuro, komarecha. You know, keep going. So within those styles matcha. Okay, we're back to matcha. <laughs> I just had to set that foundation. Okay, How matcha okay, okay. is made. Perfect. Is you take that tea plant and shade growing is like the most important thing about matcha. So, um mm. plants grow in the sun, right? Everybody they grow in the sun. And but they found out when you deprive the tea plant from sunlight, for X amount of days. It can vary based on the different style. The plant sends all a a concentrated amount of nutrients to its leaves as it's growing new leaves or uh, flush. So when it's flushing new leaves for the harvest, yeah, you'll get concentrated amounts of catechins or sorry, amino acids in chlorophyll. Catechins are grown in the sun Okay. Just think about that. So the tea plant growing in the sun, they increase in catechins. Catechins have a very bitter flavor. When you put shade or like these tarps over the tea plant, then you uh, increase in amino acids, specifically L-theanine. And L-theanine has a very sweet flavor. So the mastery and artistry Mm -hmm. behind matcha production is the producer's preference of mitigating and balancing those bitter catechins with those sweet L-theanine. And the pinnacle of that, that combination is basically the umami that you experience in tea. And so the artistry is that different producers can like have more savory matcha. They can have sweeter matcha. A lot of matcha that's sweet is really valued in the West, but a lot of people don't know, like astringency is actually really prized in Japan and necessary for a balanced cup. And so like savory matcha can be a beautiful, delicious experience. So I'm going, I'm, I'm going way back, pulling Mm -hmm. way back because you can see how between the plant itself and I'll get back to cultivars, but then like the shade growing and how the matcha is harvested all play into how the tea tastes and how strong it is, how like mature of a flavor it is, um and what it's mm-hmm. good for, you know, and what it's used for. But to answer your cultivar question, going back to the tea plant, you've got the Camellia sinensis, you have varieties of Camellia sinensis. So it's it's kind of interesting to get your head around if you're not familiar with horticulture because it is the same plant. It's all the tea plant, but you can over over the hundreds and thousands of years people have like um, found different varietal or varieties of the tea plant. So you've got Camellia sinensis var, a variety sinensis. That's the tea plant that's found in China, Japan, and uh, uh, mostly Taiwan, China, Japan. Um, and then you have Camellia sinensis varietal Assamica. So, like that tea plant variety is much larger leaf. It's found in India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, you know, and parts of China as well. So, um Still, tea plant, different varieties, but then cultivar is a cultivated variety. Hey, (laughs) makes sense? Yeah. (laughs) So, humans have taken the variety of the tea plant and they want to preserve certain characteristics, right? So, they'll clone a different like saplings of the tea plant they'll clone it's uh people get freaked out that it's gmo it's not gmo um actually gmo uh, in japan does not exist which is really great (laughs) but in order to clone a a tea plant you like graft parts of the tea plant and like create new saplings right because they want to preserve characteristics of Mm -hmm. the plant so say a farmer noticed that uh, one year, this tea plant is really resistant to frost. And they're like, that's great. We want to preserve that characteristic. So cultivars, I mean, on my end, we really look at it because of flavor, but for the most part, cultivars really help out farmers grow their tea. So they'll have in Japan, there's over 300 registered cultivars of tea because they'll develop these tea plants. Um, you don't want your tea plants all to harvest or be ready to harvest at once. you'll be super overwhelmed. So there's different cultivars that flush or are ready for harvest earlier in the year or later in the year. But for our purposes, each of these cultivars uh, gives a different flavor experience. or they all have their own flavors. so um, or flavor nuance. And you you have that in coffee, right?
0: Yeah yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, if,
0: if any of you uh, coffee fan listeners are hearing this and you're spooked by uh, <laughs> yeah. by graphs, then uh, just know that if you're drinking coffee, especially if you're drinking coffee from say Kenya, you're you're taking this stuff in because there's a company out there called Scott Labs. <laughs> Scott Labs. So, uh, who's done a lot in this field. So, if you mm-hmm. ever see. Uh, what what are they? SL thirty eight, SL forty two, SL twenty eight, and SL thirty two, two four. I mean, 34. there's there's a lot of them. Those are cultivars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. Well, and it's just like you know, variety within variety. Because yeah. you remember mm-hmm. uh, what was it? Kingdom. <laughs> what what's the the acronym? There's oh, an acronym.
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. It I don't know the acronym, but it's kingdom.
0: Etc. Ah, crap. Oh. Mom, help. Ph-
1: phylum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, k- Kings playing chess. Genus. While junior.
0: sitting. Species. Yeah. Family. Money. We family. won't deliberate on this too much, <laughs> but one way or another, th- like, you know, S- SL 28 is a, uh, is, is within the Arabica mm-hmm. coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I
2: was, so. I was flirting with my future wife during that class. Mm. <laughs> so that's why I don't remember any of it. There wow. you go. I have a question. Yeah. So um on w- one of our last radio programs here at Valor Studios, we had uh one of our favorite, our favorite, one of our favorite uh importers, oh, cool. uh Unblended. Uh they are running a Columbia focused um mm-hmm.
0: You know, they're importers, but they're more than importers.
2: Yeah, they're yeah. they're doing a lot more in the way of investing in young farmers in Colombia.
3: Oh, that's awesome!
2: Because the average age, yeah, the average age of a Colombian farmer is. then they say it was like sixty?
0: Something like sixty-two, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It, yeah, but then like, and then he was saying like four years ago it was fifty-five,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and
2: it, so it's, it's just getting worse out, yeah. every year. So. In other words, like young people are not in, as interested in coffee farming mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is because the the parents of these young people that own the coffee farms because it's a family business are telling their kids to go to college and like go mm-hmm. out and like don't take over the farm like i don't I don't know what their alternative is I'm, they're, I don't know if they're gonna farm something else or or whatever but a big part of what Unblended does is bringing young farmers into uh, that job in mm-hmm. Columbia, coffee farming. And they're doing that through giving those farmers recognition and spotlight and putting a face to the coffee that they're growing. Um, and then also implementing these more experimental, uh, innovative methods in terms of like fermenting mm-hmm. uh doing different like processing methods like methods like orange washed coffees stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested you're talking about this uh crisis is mm-hmm. a a uh extreme word but I'll say crisis. No. The crisis of farming tea farming in Japan can you just elaborate on that more um as I'm sure you've had uh, you know more eyes on that than the average person.
3: Yeah, um it's it's very similar to what you were saying is that um I mean for I think decades now Japan has had a aging demographic and aging population so just like uh the social impacts of um, just the birth rate is lower than the death rate, right? Um so that's been happening for a really, really long time. And then as you said, in the same with Columbia is that like a lot of the younger generation, they're just not interested in farming, you know, uh, they want to go to the cities. They want to, you know, go get jobs. And I, I think it's a little different in that like family business in Japan is, is very sacred. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the conversations are, you know, between parents and children. But I think for the most part, there's just more interest in other career fields and farming. Farming's hard, you know, and especially when you're dedicating it mm-hmm. to one very, very, very niche specific product. So, for example, not a lot of people know matcha as it stands presently is only 2% of Japan's total tea production. And we totally take that oh. for granted. We totally take it for granted because we just assume matcha is everywhere. So, again, is it actually matcha what you're drinking? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I like Mizuba teas, bread and butter is matcha, and we love matcha, but we also have a heritage loose leaf line. And one of the most special teas that we actually purvey is Girokuro. And for example, as it stands today, Girokuro is 0.03% of Japan's tea production. And that wow. is crazy because this is literally a style of tea that could die out in our lifetime if people don't oh my gosh. like uh, have a desire to preserve that tradition. So when we talk about tea in Japan, mm-hmm. a lot of what I talk about is how do we help uh, producers and farmers who really want to preserve these beautiful, iconic cultural tenants and traditions, like how do we get people excited about tea? <laughs> um, Cause it's, it's so mm-hmm. beautiful. Like we have the gift of pursuing vocation and like these farmers really want to see these styles of tea live on. Um, and so it's, it's incredibly passion driven. Um, I, it is, there are dire numbers uh, for the tea industry, but at the same time, the good news and the hope is that while the tea industry in Japan is currently in the decline, exports are increasing. So globally, there's a lot more people getting interested in heritage Japanese tea, which is very cool. So um, it's very refreshing when all the shops that Mizuba Tea works with like want to um, present matcha really, really well and want to carry the integrity of the farmers who craft it and like maintain that line of integrity through serving it to people in the states that is So neat, and that does give my farmers a lot of hope
2: i'm I'm wondering too, like another thing that the unblended guys said was that one of the reasons why farmers don't uh, produce a higher level of coffee
3: mm-hmm.
2: is because they basically they just take the coffee from these different lots and then just blend them all together. Mm-hmm. And then sell them at a lower price mm. to a larger corporation because it's more of a steady business. Is that mm-hmm. a, a summary different. of yeah. what what they're saying?
3: Uh oh, sorry, continue.
2: that was that was basically my point. Oh. I was just gonna okay. see if there was any similarities. You know, you mentioning mentioning like uh, matcha being x percent, very low percent of 2%. the overall export of Japanese, yeah, thank you, two percent mm-hmm. of Japanese tea. Is is there any similar you know, themes from what the unblended guys were saying?
3: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of ties back to a little bit what I wanted to close out about the cultivars and like use case for tea and like flavor and how that impacts everything. Is that like – so producers um, can design teas for different use cases and still maintain a really high level of quality um, depending on like how the teas blended. So matcha – actually as a product is like vast majority of the time, always blended um, in order to have really mm-hmm. good matcha. Um, generally speaking, the the tea leaf. Oh yeah. I should say this. Matcha isn't actually matcha until it's been stone milled. So matcha cha uh, in uh, that, that character down there if you can see it, <laughs> that means tea. Kanji. So in Chinese and Japanese, that means cha is tea. So matcha literally directly translates to rubbed tea. Um, so okay. yeah, exactly, exactly. So the the tea leaves before it's been made into matcha is called tensha. Um, and I mentioned that word before. You can only have true matcha if it's milled from tensha. Um, but that, that tensha yeah. has to – uh, when it's freshly harvested, it's it's a little green, you know. It's it's got the flavors have to mature, so they'll keep tencha in cold storage for sometimes aging it for a couple of years. Like if it's if it's re- if really climate controlled. Oh. So in general, high quality matcha they'll keep tencha in cold storage for six months to a year. So a lot of the fresh lot of matcha is blended from like ten to twenty percent new harvest. In eighty to ninety percent last year's harvest um, because mm-hmm. uh, in Japan like it's not every farmer produces their own tea it's like you've got farmers and then you have um like uh refine refining tea refining factories and then you might have like a producer in or like the artist that makes the tea it's not always the case like vast majority of tea in japan is cooperativized which is great it works really well but there are some there are some people who farm to finish in japan that's actually kind of uncommon so like Produce that's why I use the word producers a lot, because the producers aren't necessarily always farming the tea themselves. They'll buy a lot of tea at auction in order to design the matcha that they want to purvey. Um, so mm. the the relating back to like what's happening in Colombia a little bit, I think <sighs> hmm, I think what's happening now is that a lot of producers and farmers the relationships i've had in japan i i've had i've worked with my producers for 9 years now and i work with 8 tea farms in total four of them are matcha producers and so a lot of them will ask me like what is the global market valuing and so i kind of i live in two worlds because as a person as a as a deep seated beyond passionate tea enthusiast i like I want to maintain tradition. I want to help these traditions live on. I want to be a conduit for my farmer's knowledge and simply not insert myself, but like just be a platform for them to share their work and what they're excited about. But over in Japan, they're just worried Mm -hmm. about how does, how does this live on? What do I have to do to evolve the tradition in order for people to buy it? That's what they're worried about. Um, And so it's, it's a, it's Mm -hmm. a dance, you know, I feel like, I think some of the controversy in Japan is, like, how to meet mass demand. Um, I did an interview for um, Mike.com, M-I-C, and the the article was called Why Is Matcha So Expensive? And because there's also, like, a cross-cultural rub where, like, we always expect certain products to be cheap, <laughs> which is not great, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And when people realize, like, how mm-hmm. difficult it is to – um, craft or produce matcha like the shade tarps I talked about. Some sometimes those cost up to a million yen to implement, you know. And um, so, how, if matcha has exploded in popularity, a lot a lot of farmers are wondering like, how do we meet that demand but also maintain the quality of the tea? So I can get really deep mm. in here, but um, a tea usually flushes or is harvestable like three times a year. Sometimes four is extreme. Usually you should be pruning your plants at that point, but the most coveted harvest is first harvest in the spring. Second harvest is pretty like great. Um, Third harvest is usually lower quality uh, or different types of tea, like hojija or something. Hojita is a roasted Japanese tea. We can talk all about that. It's so good. But um, so for example, uh, a lot of the sh- the energy going into shade growing your plants happens first or second harvest. And then um, a lot of farmers are like, wow, we need to meet so much demand that there may be milling, say, fourth harvest that's not even shaded and still calling it matcha just because it sells. But is that matcha if it's mm-hmm. if it hasn't been shaded? I know that's really complicated because that's digging deep into – Japanese tea agriculture. <laughs> um, and then another point I mentioned is like stone milling. Um, if you go on Mizubati's Tea's website, we've got pictures and articles all about how matcha is milled. But there's several ways to do that based on the scale of where you're at. So the most traditional way to do it, and it's at my office. I wish I had it at home, but we have a stone matcha mill. And Historically, those mills only revolve 30 revolutions per minute to grind one tin of tea. So this, if you can see me, this tin is 30 grams and it takes about an hour to grind one tin of tea using a traditional Usu or stone mill. <laughs> so wow. it takes a really long time. Um, when I place whoa, whoa, orders whoa. for Mizuba, mm-hmm. they'll run those mills 24-7 to fulfill orders. So if you're If you're a company and you just want to mass consume matcha and have like, I don't know, a thousand kilos, how are the farmers going to meet that demand with the capacity that they have? So even in Japan, there's kind of a question mark of like, oh, if this tea leaf, if Tensha is milled using a giant jet, air jet mill that just completely pulverizes the tea, is that still matcha? You know?
2: Hmm.
3: So those are some questions. (laughs) Tell me
2: this. I This is a really... i I think our listeners will will like these kinds of answers and questions because a lot of them are starting businesses they're specifically Mm -hmm. starting coffee companies um and so i think getting into the nitty-gritty of inventory and things of this nature that are highly scintillating for a podcast radio session (laughs) um will be acceptable to our viewership listenership so um when you talk about managing inventory, you're working with producers in Japan, obviously across the world, and they're like 14 hours ahead or behind, right? I guess 11 for her, right? Depending on the time of year. Oh yeah, Depending 11. Depending
0: on the time of year, <laughs> or more. Yeah, right. Right.
2: Who knows? <laughs> who who knows anything about time? Anyways, it's just a it
3: construct. Just looks- um, wow. Amen.
2: The Earth is flat. <laughs> We just got cut. It's it's right.
3: sixteen. <laughs> um. It's, anyways, it's sixteen hours. Okay, oh!
2: sixteen. <laughs> so let you know you have all of these different wholesale partnerships across the nation. Mm-hmm. How do you manage your inventory working with a producer that's across the world and also, pardon my French, takes forever <laughs> to make the product. <laughs> like like you said, running the mills twenty four seven. That sounds like it would be hard. To manage that kind of inventory, I guess, but the shelf life is a year, so that's great.
3: Mm-hmm. But how does that work? You know, it it's it hasn't been that bad. I would say um, it hasn't been terrible. Um, I, I feel like the the best thing, or it wasn't really. It, part of it was intentional decision, but one of the best things I did for Mizuba was to grow slowly. Um, there was plenty of opportunities where we could have said yes to a certain client that would have been like, "Hey, we need—I don't know—800 kilos a month, and we want it at bulk volume discount." But if you really look at the power in your just dis- in your ability to say no or yes, and how that shapes your business. I think you just really need to understand what you're saying yes to. So for example, if I said yes to those sorts of opportunities, I not only would I like outstrip my own capacity, but like, is that the best decision for my farmers? Like, Do they have the capacity to scramble and like meet that demand just for the sake of meeting demand? Or should we say, like, no, actually, in order to maintain quality tea, we have this amount of kilos per month. And that's great, <laughs> you know? So I think understanding your own limitations and the, the positive effects of that are very powerful. And then like, you have to think about your goal. So is it my goal just to grow Mizuba for the sake of my own growth? Or is it the question of like, how am I supporting my producers and farmers? Which is honestly the only reason I got into this business is to be like, these teas are incredible. I just want to share them. And yeah, I think it's interesting too because a lot of like business – um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of people see business in America with like founder stories and it, putting a lot of spotlight on like the people that start companies. But I'm actually like uh, – I'm not like super shy. I'm an extremely extroverted person, but I've never wanted to be like the mascot of my own company, you know? I, I kind of want to be in the background mm-hmm. for a platform. For my farmers' work, and so if my main goal is to share what they have, I'm working within their limitations. But then, even like the work that we do together, like grows my farm partners' businesses. So, for example, there was uh, we worked on a project for a few years, and like one of my producers was able to open a new. Actually, two of my producers totally bought new buildings just by virtue of working with us. Um, and I don't want to say just by, I guess, I don't want to say working with us. It's like Mizuba is essentially their brand in America anyway. So (laughs) you know what I mean?
1: And you were saying too, that some of the producers that you work with, like 100% of their lots go to you. Mm -hmm. Is that true?
3: Um, yeah, I, uh, for a few, a few of our farmers, we are their exclusive supplier in America. Can you just tell me about like domestically, the, you know, sorry. I was like, they'll, they'll sell domestically oh yeah, yeah. and like, you know, they still have their other channels, but in Japan. for America. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm interested to hear, you know, you mentioned like scaling your business from, you know, the the, the French press days <laughs> to where you are now. You're talking about growing slowly. Mm-hmm. We, also are trying to grow and scale our business and we are constantly having conversations about like how do we do that why do we want to do that and yeah like how fast what what's the direction you know we thought we wanted to go this direction for a little while we thought we wanted to you know now we're kind of on the like we want to be podcast stars <laughs> and you know and that that's obviously really working out for us you hit um the charts. but for you,
0: tens of listeners, dozens and dozens of <laughs> listeners. Yeah, the hey,
2: Smash like. Yeah, smash like, guys. By the way, um, oh just can can you just give us some uh, some business coaching advice for uh, for just some things you've learned on scaling mizuba You know, on the employee level, on the mm. money level, just your general happiness, just any of your yeah. any of the things you've noticed and learned in that journey.
3: Oh wow. Wow. What a, what a honor to answer that question too. First of all, um, it is funny to answer from a very personal perspective because again, like my employees always make fun of me because like I have been known in interviews to be like, I never wanted a business. (laughs) still (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, but I think, it can be a very scary place to do what you love because for a lot of people like the, the business uh, and capitalist side of things can ruin it for people. But for me, I've, I've just come to understand like it's the greatest gift for these farmers to entrust their teas to me, especially back then. They, <laughs> they're like, here, 22-year-old Californian girl. Sell tea, <laughs> you know, like that's that's wild. Wow! And so um, it was such a, again, I think it's one of the greatest gifts of my life to be entrusted with that. And so it's my, my understanding of like everything I do in business is how do I steward that gift well. Um, so growing slowly, uh, truly understanding what your decisions will imply and like I think you said like you have to really understand why like why am I making this decision and I think it's really interesting for people our age in business because like I think there's just so much conversation about growth for the sake of growth and I've kind of had this conversation with other people is like why 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 do you do you need to are you are you trying to appease a lot of a lot of investors and if that if that's your case then that could be right for you but like I think a lot of people look at other companies and like, oh, they're growing so fast, they're taking over the world. And I'm also like not a competitive person. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. I I don't feel the same hustle pressure to just be like, oh, well, we have to we have to compete. We have to do it for the sake of growth. Um, when when I first started hiring employees, like I had to like, take a step back and be like, "Oh, how do I explain Mizuba to people? Like, what is their business?" And so a lot of people are, mm. like, "Oh, are you a startup? Are you are you um just like what kind of company are you?" And I think at the end of the day, like Mizuba truly is just a small family business. We've been around for 9 years. I call myself small. We currently service over 600 Um, wholesale accounts across the nation. So I mean it's relatively smaller. Big that's just wholesale. We also have nationwide and international retail. Yeah, that's
1: super small. Six hundred is super small. (laughs) Yeah.
3: But I mean it's all relative, (laughs) right? I mean, so that's currently where we're at. But again, like it's been nine years. And so as a small family business, it's me. But my husband, Dan, is the COO. We've hired two of our best friends, both my parents. I don't like to say they work for Mizuba because they tell me what to do a lot. (laughs) But both my parents. They work
1: with Mizuba?
3: They work with Mizuba, like both my mom and dad. My mom uh, is running we import straight to California and they take care of the matcha down there and ship it out. I think actually my mom has shipped some Valor shipments. Um, normally we send it from Portland, Thank but I think mom. there's been times where she sent it from California. So, <laughs>
0: mm.
1: Wow. Yeah. What a blessing. It is a blessing. So I guess on, on that, one thing that we hear a lot is people always ask about hiring friends and it mm-hmm. sounds like you've hired your friends. I, I, they probably still work for you now, so you maybe don't want to get too down and dirty. But uh, how's that? How's that been versus like just maybe the other alternative was like posting a job listing and sure. just kind of seeing. And
3: what we've happens. done that too. We have done that too. I I want to. I don't want to make it sound too insular. Um, but you're right. Uh, actually, we hired another one of my friends just a week ago. <laughs>
1: busted
0: yeah i
3: know i know um i it's funny because uh yeah y'all have to understand i i've worked in other capacities but i actually started mizuba right out of college so i actually don't have experience like working in the corporate world or working for other companies and it's kind of this Mm -hmm. blessing and curse of like like, i don't know yeah i don't really have entrenched experience from like what working for quote unquote a normal job is like and i only know how to do things like it and it's it's given us a lot of freedom of like how do we create this ecosystem right so Mizuba mm-hmm. is a very relational company. Mizuba is truly only built on relationships. It's built on the relationships I, I have with my farms. It's, <laughs> I mean, I hired my husband. Like <laughs> it's, it's built on like a relationship. So um, I think it's a really sweet opportunity for truly – doing life together in a weird way there it's like i can't think too much the fact that i'm responsible for people's livelihoods i do think about that a lot i'm very intentional but on a day-to-day basis like like respect that understand that and also create a safe space for people and we just do life together i don't know if that's too much of a simplistic answer um there's a lot of respect for like boundaries and there's a lot of respect for um what what my friends need. Uh but it's it hasn't been too crazy. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that. Um just being a good friend, you know?
1: Yeah, work work <laughs> to maintain any relationship, whether that's inside of work or
0: a friend yeah.
1: and in your case. And sometimes our case, it's the same.
0: Mm. Yeah. I have a, a question that's really important. Mm. Wow. what I is trust it? That. Please tell so, me Would you rather have really terrible matcha, or you know, after what you said, you know, imposter matcha, imposter matcha, yeah, Uh or southern style sweet
3: tea? Oh, like to drink? Oh, oh, honestly, well, they're like you know apples and oranges, right? I feel Mm. so. I mean, my my day to day is sampling. Tons of tea. I get sent tea all the time. And there's so much Mm -hmm. I say no to. So I actually drink and sample quite a bit of bad matcha. It happens. And so I will say I would actually Mm -hmm. rather have the sweet tea because I want to experience what that very um, important cultural aspect is in, in you're part of the world. Mm. I want to experience mm. that tenet of Southern culture. I want to be like, I want to know what sweet tea is like. I actually don't know if I've ever had sweet tea.
1: Oh, my gosh. Hey, <laughs> I, I really don't like sweet tea. That's it just okay. tastes like
3: sugar. Yeah, probably What's not sugar? to like? Yeah. yeah. But like again. I think when
0: my mom makes a pitcher of sweet tea, she puts a cup of sugar. Oh, in it. Wow. Yeah. Like she should. Yeah. And it, it <sighs> tastes yeah. like sweet tea. It tastes like sugar.
3: I think it's like, yeah. I, don't, hey. I don't have to like it, but I want to experience it. Does that make sense? Sure.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll mail you a cup of, <laughs> or a gallon of Chick-fil-A sweet tea. Freeze dried. <laughs>
2: yeah, we'll and freeze. then add water. <laughs> and all you got to do is stir it. Any temp. Okay. All right. Hey, Great. I have a question that is similar,
1: okay. but different. Well, um, can I
3: interrupt really quick? A fun fact 100%. about Lauren Gervis is that I've never had Chick-fil-A.
0: Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Well.
3: Yeah, fun fact.
0: At this point, I feel like if you've never had it, if you do have it, you'll be like kind of let down. I
3: know.
1: It's kind of like the in in and out burger thing for us here.
0: I I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't let down by that.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've never sorry, had it. No. Or the water burger, people are really into that uh, in I, Texas.
0: I, it's fine. Mm-hmm.
1: Or uh, yeah. bucky's or whatever. I don't know. Let's keep, keep ser- going. searching. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> so you were saying that 2% of the tea industry in Japan is matcha. Mm-hmm. So without you, you know, bad-mouthing the big dogs out there, would you just say, like, if a Starbucks or a Dunkin' says that they're offering matcha, most likely would they just be offering a a powdered green tea beverage.
3: Potentially. No no
1: hate, just like a – No hate, just like potentially.
3: So it's math interesting. wise Yeah. Uh, in order – I was going to give you all a pop quiz at the end of the di- – at the podcast, and I want you to remember what four points make matcha actually matcha. Um, but before I have you answer that, oh gosh. Uh, it is interesting because like – Yes. There, other countries will try to sell powdered green tea and call it matcha so you don't know maybe they're getting their powdered green tea from Taiwan or China and it's actually one of the craziest things I had somebody within the tea industry tell me that their demand was so large that they had to start tea plantations in Australia to meet demand for wow. Japanese green tea but I was like why are you telling me that <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the vice president of a very large Japanese green tea company. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's kind of similar. I think that, I think this is the same with Kona coffee or Geisha, right? It's like, there are companies that will say, oh, this is hundred percent Kona coffee, but then there's like variables and elements that it's not really have you guys heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just based in my own very niche specialty place with Mizuba and like wanting to support very small heritage family run farms, um, like I kind of stay in that lane. Um, but there are companies out there that want to meet mass demand, you know? And so that's, that's the kind of ticky tacky area where like, what is matcha really? And I only know what my farmers tell me. So,
1: <laughs> can I answer the pop quiz? I think I could too. Oh, let's
3: answer okay. the pop
1: quiz. Wait, you don't listen, and I'll say it. Then I'm just kidding. You go ahead. No,
2: no, you were really you excited. really wanted to. So, well, I
1: have three, and I was like, which one's the fourth? Like, must, but I know that it's shade shade grown uh, okay. from Japan.
3: Yeah,
1: uh, stone milled. And the fourth one, was it that it needed to be the Tencha tea? Oh, my
3: gosh. You nailed it. Wow. Nailed
2: it. Get this guy a job.
1: Were you going to say that, too?
2: I didn't have the Tencha bit, but who's to say I wouldn't have remembered? Mm. Right. you know?
1: Yeah, you, you're so smart. You could have recalled. <laughs> Man. Oh, um, yeah. Hey, what what do you wish? You're talking to a group of guys that run a coffee company Mm. and we serve a good bit of matcha you You have our ear you also have the ear (laughs) (laughs) you also have the ear of a lot of other people that are in the coffee business slash tea business Mm. what is some what are some things that you just want to say to people that like offer matcha in their cafe but it's not like their main thing so they need to they need they should know a couple of pointers mm-hmm. what are some pointers that you'd give us for like high volume cafe yes. we don't know much about matcha we're always like training on coffee and then we're like oh yeah for matcha just you know do this this and this what What are the, like the this this and this of matcha
3: that's a great question and i would say that i do have a lot of coffee shops coming to me saying like it serving matcha doesn't seem feasible for a high volume cafe because it seems like there's a lot of steps or, um, elements that would slow us down. And I would say that's not necessarily true. And actually because given the fact that Dan, my husband has worked in coffee for nine years, my family in Portland actually owns five coffee shops. Um, I am the sister-in-law of the two purpose brothers that own good coffee. And so I'm surrounded by a lot of coffee people And Mm -hmm. because of that, uh, our team at Mizuba speaks barista and we actually help design bar flows and, um, yeah, just processes for serving matcha based on your individual shop. So I would say, talk to Mizuba. (laughs) I would say, talk to us and just based on your setup, there are ways to still serve matcha and preserve the integrity of the tea and really showcase um, that quality in a high volume setting it is possible in fact actually a shout out back to dune coffee French press our tight bros at Mizuba. um they still use the chason bamboo traditional tea whisk to make each individual cup of matcha and as I mentioned they go through a kilo of matcha a week it is possible and like, there's Saturdays. I'm sure like Valor can attest to that too. Yeah. Especially if you serve over a thousand drinks. Like there are ways to still maintain the quality um, and make it work for your bar flow.
2: It's kind of easier and more consistent than espresso. As far as like <laughs> yeah a, the yeah. bar flow, you know, at in the preparation. Cause with espresso, you risk like channeling the shot. You gotta get it the right weight. And then the shot might run fast or slow, and then it might sit there for a second or whatever. But matcha is just like, like the bit in our cafe is when someone orders a matcha, the uh, the concierge, aka the register person, <laughs> is like matcha, and then the production team is like matcha, heard, and the, and, uh, and then they that. just get a whisking on the chasin, which I thought it was Jason. Yeah. No, it's Jason with a J, but Jason's not here today and that's okay. I will um, say
3: one of our team members at Mizzouba, he once was like, you know what, Lauren? And he, he worked at um, Dapper and Wise Coffee for a long time, if y'all familiar with that back in the day. Um, oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Big fans so, of their videos.
3: So the gentleman behind those videos actually works for Mizzouba. <laughs>
1: No. Get him on. Get him on camera. Where is (laughs) he? Graham, if
3: you're listening. Can you hear me? Hey. Hey. (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) Dude, be funny.
1: Be funny for us. (laughs) (laughs) Ah.
3: Graham, Graham, spoiler alert, he films all Mizuba's videos. So if you go on our YouTube channel, Mm. the gentleman behind all the Dauber and Wise videos shoots all of our videos. And he is a good buddy of ours. Mm.
1: Yo. Yeah. Let's collab. That's awesome.
3: So Graham, now that he he has spoken in this podcast, he once came up to me. He's like, you know what, Lauren? I think that making matcha is actually faster than serving espresso. And I was like, oh my gosh, are people gonna get really mad at me? Like, are them's fighting words, right? And he's like, No, I I truly believe that if you know how to whisk correctly, it's faster than pulling a shot of espresso. And I was like,
1: I'm Team Graham. I'll say it yeah, right here. I've Me always too. been
2: Team Graham. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, well, if you're listening and uh, you are starting a coffee cart or you're, you have a coffee shop,
0: then man, check out
2: Mizuba. Run,
0: don't Walk. No better place to go for your matcha moments. Yeah, and
2: I love I love, obviously the product, but being able to, you guys are always so open to do fun things. You know, giveaways, Instagram things. I'm not really over that kind of stuff. I just know that it's happened. <laughs> um, and it, that means so much, you know. Can I also just say it's really
1: impressive that though we be one of 600, you make us feel like one of one. Wow. And you and your team make us feel like one of one. Oh, yeah. You know,
3: it's, I'll say that for your business people too. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm not, you're not crying. I'm crying. Uh- <laughs> no i will say for the business listeners out there one like again not having gone to business school and the only thing i know how to do is be friends with people and i think that the one of the greatest joys in what i think really fuels mazuba is the fact that we want to have really solid relationships with all of our shops so we offer free ongoing training Um, As I mentioned before, like, but yeah, we try to give free training resources to all of our shops anytime because, you know, your industry has a lot of employee turnover and I, I know what it's like when you have set systems, but then like maybe you have to hire a whole new crew and then they weren't there when I originally trained your original crew on how to make matcha. And so we actually have resources for that to retrain all of your employees and make sure all the managers, like when you get questions at your concierge or at your cashier saying like from customers, you're like, Oh, what is this stuff? Did my espresso eat kale? And you're like, no, actually let me tell you like, this is matcha. It's direct from Uji, Japan. (laughs) Um, So we, we want to ensure that like, again, our role is to just be a conduit for all the knowledge that our farmers have and our, our producers and farmers are somewhat relying on you as baristas and coffee shops to be able to speak about it. Well, so, that's going back to us is that, mm. A, we really just value fun. We value having a lot of fun and we value um, education. And so coffee shops are just great places for both those things. And so therefore we have great relationships with a lot of our coffee shops.
2: <laughs> you want to wrap us, Big T? Sign us off? Uh,
0: no, I don't. I'm having the time of my life. Hey, when are we? When can we uh, all, uh, you know... Hop over to Japan together. Yeah, you know?
1: origin wow. trip, Japan yeah.
0: style.
3: Yeah, you sign up. You let me know. We um, are hoping to go back 2023, um, May. We always tend to go for Shincha season, harvest season, um, just when the first flush happens. Um, that's really fun. It's a great time. Uh, our, on average, we go about every other year. Uh, our last trip was for scheduled for May of 2020 and want. So, we're hoping to go back in wah-wah. May of this coming in this upcoming year.
0: Mm. Very nice. So hop Very on nice. board. <laughs> well, hey. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for dealing with our uh Loren. extreme lateness due to our technical issues uh, and for just being a champ. You guys uh you guys are You're one awesome. of if not, our favorite partners. So oh well,
3: oh yeah. wow, y'all just made my day. No, um, I'm blushing. I feel like here's the thing: your coffee shop is it's definitely well, spoken crying. out by name I'm all the sorry. time in the Mizzouba office. Whenever we get emails from, you oh. know, all your crew, we just have so much fun. We rock the Valor shirts. Actually, I bought all my employees Valor oh. shirts. Did you know that?
1: No, <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea. We all survived uh, matcha madness you.
3: with you. Yeah, we all survived that mm. that month of matcha Aww, madness. But oh, I, yeah, mean, I
1: I remember
0: pulling those. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. You you've set some serious matcha tea awesome. records. So do credit for that.
0: Well, hey, I uh, I can't wait until March already. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll have to come up with another uh, another reason for the season, huh?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey. Thank you so much. hey you're now a friend of the program welcome on anytime so uh, so uh, you you're just you're just the best um, you're awesome. Best. If you're listening to this and you want uh, some great matcha uh, or you want some great um, you know video content Instagram to content <laughs> uh, follow Mazuba on Instagram uh, and make sure to buy their delicious product at their website or at your local valor
2: coming soon near you
0: yeah uh well hey thanks again uh listeners we love you
3: thanks crew valor's the best thank you